Hey guys, before we get started with the show, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast that we love. Are you a geek looking for a TV-centric podcast? Give the Bingeables podcast a try. Co-hosts and partners in crime, Chin Lin and Isaac, are geeks who love to watch TV and recommend the bingeable ones. There's so many shows out there, sometimes you need a little hand in trying to figure out what to watch next. The Bingeables podcast dives deep into the episodes of shows like Disenchantment, Firefly, and more. Stick around on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and all your top podcast platforms for the next show to binge. Follow on Twitter at BingeablesPod to engage in the conversation. Bye-bye! Hello, hello, hello! Hi. As normal people say. You're always very reticent with your greeting. Yeah. You like to be low-key. Yeah. Underscore. Underscore? <laughs> underscore. Low-key underscore tartness. <laughs> your username. Yeah. Well, anyway. Hello. Welcome back to Legendary Episode... Three. Three. What, you can't count up to three now? Look, I forgot. How dare you? <laughs> Listen. Let's just move on. Episode Trace. Oh, then you're so multilingual. <laughs> I speak Spanish. You do? Say, say, uh, ask someone to pass the bread. Donde est biblioteca? <laughs> and if you don't understand that reference, you suck. Why do you always presume people don't understand our references? Have more faith. Because we're very underground. We're hipsters. We're actually, like, on the third floor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, how are you doing? How's, how's things? Oh, me? Sorry. For some Who reason, I thought you were talking, talking to the listeners. I'm like, they're not going to respond. What? What did I tell you Sorry. about the clapping? Oh, now you're hitting your hand, though. Okay, I'm fine. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know. Much the same as our last episode. Which? You know, sort of just going crazy. Cold and then hot. Wait, that makes it sound like I have a fever. I don't. It was just, it was cold this morning and now it's hot. I'm fine. Do you have a fever? No, Should I'm I fine. be social distancing no, from you? You can't. I can't. We are literally both bending over this computer. Right, our noses are practically touching. Yes, no. It's away from me. <laughs> How are you? That's great. Okay. okay. Thanks. I'm sorry. No, I'm yeah. no, 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 you don't actually want to know. That's cool. It's just a joke. How are you? Truly. Well, I'm okay, actually. Actually, you know, I've been kind of grateful today. Um, Around two weeks ago, I was in a really bad spot in my life. I ended up in um, a mental health care hospital. And I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder um, or bipolar depression. Like, apparently, it's not completely straightforward. So, anyway, things were just like really dark, really not good. And today I'm feeling a lot better. So, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Feeling good. I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah, true. And what about you? You, you had something you're grateful for? No, I'm just not grateful. No, I'm joking. Um, I am grateful to you. Oh, for for what? For just you know existing. Oh, that's so sweet. Don't touch me. Give me a hug. Don't touch me. Sister hugs. Mm. Ew. Mm. Okay, that's fine. 
<laughs> you're gonna see like now oh my nose you're going to mm, my allergies oh <laughs> allergies my ass first you're hot and cold now you want to sneeze you got coronavirus Sneezing is not bitch. a symptom of coronavirus it's just well, it second. is now <laughs> okay all right enough of this bullshit what are you gonna tell me today yeah yeah oh yeah my turn yeah hang on need to unlock my phone all right okay so what do you think i'm gonna talk about um ancient legends nice Thank You're gonna you. do me like that. Well, how the hell should I know? Do I look like a psychic? Are you? No. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about <laughs> robots, GPSs, and AI in the ancient world. Sorry, but what the fuck? Yeah, I know, right? I, I anticipated that reaction. So, take some technology in the ancient world. Are you ready? Um, not in any way. All right, great. That's also, great. I thought I'd just tell you, I discovered this nail polish on my big toenail that I think has been here since February. Are you sure the nail polish is not mold? It doesn't look like mold. It's Stop pink. picking at it with your fingers. It's very unhygienic. How can it be here since February? Because it's probably fungus. It's not fungus. Anyway. Are you done? Yeah, sorry. AI. Technology. Okay. Yeah. I'm ready. Okay. So... There's actually a lot of evidence that ancient cultures thought about artificial life-like beings. So, uh, some early... Mm. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> that was me this time. <clears throat> Should I answer you to switch yourself? Yeah, yeah, I'm switching it off now. <laughs> you know, this is such a... This, it's been like six minutes and we've just talked trash. Okay. Yeah, it started well, I think. No, it didn't. This is just getting more professional by the episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Um, the earliest themes of artificial intelligence, robots, and self-moving objects actually appear in the works of ancient Greek poets like Hesiod and Homer. So, um, Hesiod and Homer. Yeah. My so, favorite rap group. Bro, you're so distracted today. <laughs> Sorry. Just focus. Okay, so um, Homer, we know, wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. Hesiod wrote the works like the Theogony and that other thing that's really boring about working in farms. Nobody cares about it. So this is around 750 and 650 BC. And Hesiod tells us about the legend of Talos. Now Talos can be considered as one of the earliest conceptions of a robot. So he mentions this around 700 BC and Talos is actually a giant bronze man-like creation that was apparently built by Hephaestus, who is the Greek god of of blacksmithing and inventions. And he, uh, yeah, so he built Talos because Zeus, the king of the Greek gods, told him that he wants the island of Crete to be protected from invaders. So what Talos was basically programmed to do was that he had to march around the island three times every day, hurling boulders at approaching enemy ships and pirates, and if he identified some uh, a stranger, he would pick them up, clutch them to his chest, and his bronze torso would heat up and roast oh. the person alive. Oh no, oh... That's not what I expected. Um, the deadliest bear hug ever. Right? Like, me you know what you this reminds me of? This is sounding like... The Iron Giant. No, not oh, the okay. Iron Giant. The Iron Giant is friendly. No, I was thinking that um, automaton thingy from the first Thor movie. Oh, the, the one who opens its, its mouth Yeah, and well, like, like its entire its head opens up and it spews fire. You know. Yeah. I wonder if it was based on the same thing. Just, you know, Marvel mixing its Norse and Greek mythology. Maybe. I didn't actually investigate Norse mythology for robots, but 
Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so at his uh, at Talos's core is a giant tube that runs from his head to one of his feet, which apparently carry this thing called Ikor. So Ikor is the life source of the gods, mm-hmm. and that is like his mechanical fu- fluid that fuels his movements and everything. And he features in the Greek myth of Jason and Argonos, uh, where Jason's wife Medea actually defeats Talos by using her magical powers, including telepathy, to confuse this metal giant, and he stumbles around and strikes a rock with his foot, which <laughs> then dislodges this um, this tube and and then causes the icon to flow out of his foot onto the ground, effectively <laughs> deactivating him. <laughs> he died from a leak. <laughs> yeah. So basically a Med- leaky foot. <laughs> basically Medea pulled the plug and Talos was deactivated. <laughs> She emptied him like bath water. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was what we think is like one of the first ideas, uh, conceptions of, of a robot. People also think that Pandora could be considered as an artificial being because um, firstly she was also created by Hephaestus. And in some of the ancient artwork you can see she looks like mechanically stilted. She doesn't look, if you compare it with other female beings in art, she doesn't look the same. She doesn't oh. have like the fluidity and the softness. She looks like a robot kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so the mother of Pandora is describing Hesiod's theogony. And um, Hesiod describes her, I'm using modern terms, as artificial and evil woman that Hephaestus has built and Zeus has ordered uh, to Earth to punish humans for discovering fire. And actually there's a really awesome book by Adrian Mayer called Gods and Robots myths, machines, and ancient dreams of technology. She describes Pandora as a kind of AI agent whose only mission was to infiltrate the human world and release a jar of miseries. <laughs> Your mission, should you choose should you... to accept no, it, No, like, that's kind of what the idea is. is. to I'm open a jar. a jar. So that could be, like, um, an artificial being. And then Hephaestus also created other artificial beings, which could be considered the first conception of artificial intelligence. Um, he actually created a set of autom- um, automated servants who looked like women but were actually made of gold. Um, in the Iliad, uh, Achilles' mother, Thetis, goes to visit Hephaestus in his workshop and she sees these maidens who are moving quickly and bustling around Hephaestus, like actual working people, but they're completely made of gold. They're like them, all functioning with mechanisms. Can I just say, such a man... <laughs> right like i want my servants to be women yeah. shapely like let me just surround myself with women but they all have to do exactly what i say and they don't speak yeah and basically. they're made of gold basically but what was interesting is that he actually infused them with the wisdom all of the wisdom and knowledge of the gods uh their minds that they were apparently capable of thinking for themselves so they would do things without him ordering them to do um so that's why we think they're kind of like the first conception of AIs. So what I'm hearing is Hephaestus was the Steve Jobs of the ancient... Basically. Of, of the Greek pantheon. Yeah, basically. So only um, the gods didn't treat him that nicely. Unlike Steve Jobs. Oh. Yeah. That's uber cool. So um, the same woman, Mayo. I assume it's a woman. Adrian. Mr. Adrian. Who knows? I mean, this person, Mayor, um, also talks about these servants, and she says they're endowed with what AI specialists term augmented intelligence based on big data and machine learning. So they're um, also technically databases for divine knowledge, which I thought was pretty interesting. Mm. 
Um, there's a bunch of other machine-like things that Hephaestus created. The horses of the Kabairi, which is a pair of fire-breathing horses crafted out of bronze. Uh, oh, you know this one, the Caucasian Eagle. Um, <laughs> the Caucasian it? Eagle, <laughs> otherwise known as, as President as Trump. Trump. Oh, um, it's actually a giant. The Caucasian Eagle has landed. <laughs> it's a giant eagle cast out of bronze, which rips Prometheus's liver out every day. That eagle. Oh, that mother. Bunker. Yeah, so it wasn't actually a live eagle, it was a machine. I mean, that makes sense, because how the hell would you get a normal eagle to do that every day? I mean, why would it do that? Exactly. Um, okay, then there was the Golden Celadones, also by Hephaestus, which were singing maidens sculpted out of gold for uh, the shrine of Apollo at Delphi. Um, Apollo was the god of prophecies and a bunch of other things. Um, oh, and also... Uh, gold and silver watchdogs, which are made for the palace. Wait, wait, I know this, I know this. Argentum and Aurus. Arium? Aurum. Something like that. I should know this because I should know what gold and silver is <laughs> in Greek, but I can't remember. Uh, yeah. Yes. And you know this because... Percy Jackson! Yes! What up, Rina Aguila Ramirez Arlano? What up, Uncle Rick? Um, okay, and lastly, he also uh, made 20 wheeled tripods out of gold, which could, which are self-animated, and they could wheel themselves in and out of the holes as the gods wanted them to, which mm. I find pretty funky, and I want one of those. Um, so anyway, that was Hephaestus. Then also Homer says, or talks about the um, the Phaeacians, which I can't remember, I feel like I might have mentioned in another episode. Um, which is actually a mythical nation, and they possessed GPS-like ships. So their ships could be steered exclusively via thought and your words. What? <laughs> so um, the king of the Phaeacians tells Odysseus um, from the Odyssey, which is by Homer, um, he, that he can use one of these ships and says that the ships merely need to be told his city and country and they will devise, uh, devise the route accordingly. So um, this is kind of like like a GPS. So you kind of like tell oh. them you plug in the coordinates for the ships, and they take you wherever you want. Like nautical homing pigeons. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, also mentioned were doors that moved automatically and mechanical watchdogs. So Homer thought of all this shit basically centuries before anyone actually invented things like automatic doors. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, all the things that we can imagine that we haven't been able to create yet. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's that's insane if you think about it. It means it that really nothing is new. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. Um, now to the juicy parts. So oh. you know about sex parts. <laughs> like Japanese sex robots? Yeah, so technically the ancient Greeks thought of them too. That's typical. And I, what we think is a possible ancient example of a sex bot actually involves Queen Pasiphae, the wife of King Minos in Crete. And I think oh, you know where this going. This is the one where Zeus sees Pasiphae on the beach and he's like... Oh, no, no, no that's wait, Europa. That's, yeah, yeah. My bad. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. This is Pasiphae and the Minotaur. Yeah. Yes. The Minotaur is um, a creature with a human... Body. I found this on the. W- <laughs> so it's like a human body with a bald head, <laughs> and it's just like a picture of Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Why does Siri just randomly open up like that? I don't know. I, I, you know, if I have to say, "Hey Siri, 
it doesn't do anything. But then randomly, I'll say some random phrase, and then all of a sudden, Siri is like, we're searching red hot chili bleepers. (laughs) (laughs) Or something. Anyway, excuse that interruption, sorry. (laughs) What I was saying is, the robots. The robots are listening. They're hearing us. (laughs) What I was saying is, um, a minotaur is a creature with a man's body and a bull's head. Mm -hmm. Pasiphae came across the minotaur. She apparently mm. fell in love with it. Mm. Or she was cursed to fall in love with it? No, so she doesn't actually fall in love with a minotaur. She gives birth to a minotaur. She falls in love with a bull. Oh, like damn. a regular-ass bull. Oh, and she got... What's his name? Daedalus. Daedalus. Mm-hmm. To make a bull out of bronze that she could climb into so that she could have sex with the bull. Right, hence sex bot. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> I didn't... You, you, you mostly I, got I, it. I got that you like 70% wrong. Yeah, but no. <laughs> points for enthusiasm. No, no, you mostly got it. You mostly got it. So, um, yeah, so the myth goes that. So, first, Passe was a jealous woman and she actually cast a spell over her husband who kept having affairs. So, whenever he tried to have sex with another woman, he would actually just ejaculate scorpions and snakes. What? And millipedes and basically kill the woman that oh, he's having sex no. with. Oh, no. I didn't need that image in my head. But that's not actually what's important here. I just wanted to add that in to see your reaction. Oh, it cannot be unseen in my mind. Can you imagine? Like, no, I don't want to just... imagine. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> I defy you, Satan. <laughs> um, so, one version says that Minos actually pisses off Poseidon, the god of the sea, um, by refusing to sacrifice a sacred bull that the sea god had given him. So Poseidon causes Pacifier to fall in love with uh, said bull. And then another version says that Zeus curses Passivay to appease Minos because she keeps making his pee-pee into a snake. <laughs> you know? Which he keeps ejaculating women, I think, reptiles. A turn off, you know? Maybe some others like it. It's, it's... Anyway. I mean, it would be a definite minus for me. Mm. You, you don't know? like the snakes? From I... the peepees? <laughs> you don't like the millipedes and scorpions coming out? I mean, Imagine how painful that would have been for him, though. I mean, it's really not supposed to be big enough for, like, an entire snake to come up. <laughs> okay, we need to start talking about it. Um, yeah, so, Pasta calls up Davis, who is the most famous mortal inventor of the time, and is like, Bro, I need to have sex with this bull. Can you kind of make, like, a machine or something? And he's like, Girl, you cray, but okay. I need to bring home the bacon. Yeah, I don't know what disturbs me more. The fact that she wanted to have sex with a bull or the fact that he was willing to invent a thing that helped her have sex with a bull. I mean, here's the thing. He was, like, their servant at the time. So if he said no, he'd probably just be forced to have sex with Minus and then get a snake up to Woohoo. <laughs> or well, the, bad as the other end. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, I feel sorry for him. He probably didn't have a choice. That's true. <laughs> um... So yeah, then, you know, he made a bronze bowl, and she climbed into it, and one thing led to another, and you got the Minotaur. Um, and this is what Mayer again calls, like, a remarkable form of ancient techno-pornography. Yeah, because the Greeks were fucked in the head. <laughs> I mean, as not as fucked as we are, really. I mean, I don't want to go into the sex bots of the modern age, but they're, I've, yeah, they're, they're creepy. I mean, just to be clear, I don't have a problem with people's kinks. I mean, no. there's there's nothing wrong with that, and everyone should be free to 
express themselves in however way they want to with other consenting adults. I do have a problem with producing a child that has a, a bull's head and then exiling said child into an underground maze for the rest of its adult life before it gets needlessly slaughtered by some demigod asshole. Yeah, that is that, child that really abuse. Asks me. And honestly, if this is what you're doing, you are a bad parent. Yeah, that's true, yeah. I mean, Pomonito didn't ask for that life. No, definitely not. No. Guys, if your kid comes out deformed, it's still your kid. You need to take care of it. You need to take responsibility. But also stop having sex with animals. Yeah. That's yeah. just wrong. The, the bull can't consent. You mm-hmm. can't do that. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, where was I? Oh, okay. So, uh, the Greek philosopher Aristotle also speculated that if life could become fully automated, then craftsmen would have no need of servants and masters would have no need of slaves. So I decided then, because I thought it was really interesting that from Hesiod to Aristotle, this whole idea of automation technology was still a clear concept for them that they wanted to achieve at some point. Right. This wasn't only in ancient Greece. We also have a story about an artificial man created by the craftsman Yen Shi during the reign of King Mu of the Zhu dynasty of China. This was around 976-922 BC, so also a very long time ago. Uh, This android could apparently dance, sing, and imitate human behavior, and delighted the king right up until the point when the robot began to flirt with the king's concubines. (laughs) And then he was like, yeah, it's gonna have to go, hey? It's gonna have to go. It's way too much like a human. He couldn't compete with a (laughs) robot. That's a new low for any king. (laughs) I mean, the robot probably had more flexibility than he did, if you know what I mean. Anyway, uh, so that was like some myths and stuff, but um, I just want to talk really briefly about some actual amazing technological minds and technology in the ancient world. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, this so, is my jam. as I was saying, they thought about AIs, GPSs, robots, and stuff like that, but they, they couldn't actually make those at that point. Obviously, they didn't have the technology, but they were able to make a whole bunch of other awesome things. So, there's one guy called Christibius who was around at 285 to 22 BC. He was a Greek inventor and mathematician in Alexandria uh, during Ptolemaic Egypt. So that was after Alexander the Great had died mm-hmm. and the Ptolemies had taken over um, uh, Egypt. So he wrote um, documents on the science of compressed air and its uses in pumps. Um, his most commonly known invention today is actually uh, the pipe organ which was later used in the invention of the piano. Oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, none of his work actually survived, so we don't, we can't, like, replicate what he was really thinking. We only have references to his work. Um, But someone else we know a lot more of is called Hero of Alexandria. He was actually in 10, born in around 10 AD to 70 AD, so he's a bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a mathematician engineer from Alexandria as well, but during the time of Roman Egypt, so after Rome had conquered Egypt. Um, he invented a whole bunch of things, and I wrote a whole bunch of things, but I don't think I should really go into it because it'll probably take a whole episode. Um, he created something called the Isle the Pile, otherwise known as Hero's Engine, which was actually a rocket-like 
reaction engine. So it was used for like sudden creating sudden bursts of air. Okay. Which I I, I don't definitely know what they were used for, but apparently it was very amazing for the but time. Was it something that could actually launch a missile possibly with um with air only, so like something that just punched in in a um a kind of kick of air and it just expelled a, a missile, a bit I, like a I, cannon. I, yeah, I think that was the idea behind it. I don't think, obviously at the time, he was able to really achieve that, but he basically came up with the concept of it. Mm. Um, he also invented the steam engine. What? About two millennia before the Industrial Revolution. Uh, again, we obviously couldn't replicate because we didn't have the these uh, works. Um, so, sorry, quick question. The reason we don't have records of these, um, were they burned in the library of probably, Alexandria? Probably, considering that he was working there. Probably. But if we don't have records of it, how do we know that it... We have references to all of these people. Some of these works apparently survive in fragments, but um, everything else we know about them are references from other authors that have survived. So they wouldn't, they have not been like, so this is how he made it, but they said this is what he made. So we couldn't, we can't know how exactly. Um, we do have some diagrams and stuff, which I'll show you just now. Um, he also created another engine which used air from a closed chamber, uh, heated by an altifier, which displaced water from a sealed vessel. This water was then collected and apparently it, via some sort of weight and rope mechanism, it actually opened temple doors. Oh, so cool. Huh? It's, um... Uh, hydraulic system. Mm. Uh, so he invented the art. That's insane. Um, he also invented the first vending machine, which I think you might remember. I feel like we listened to another podcast that talked about the first vending machine. Yes, I did. It was about um, this mechanism that uh, w- was placed outside a temple. Mm-hmm. And when you put a coin onto a scale... It acted as a counterweight for the other side of the scale and brought up holy water or something. Exactly, <laughs> which I found so amazing. Yeah, that was. So apparently, the coin wicked. fell into like a pan attached to a lever. The lever then opened up a valve, which would let the water out. And the, as the pan continued to tilt with the weight of the coin until the coin fell off, the counterweight would then snap the lever back up and turn off the valve. So you got your water, and then it would stop pouring. And I, I just say, find it ingenious. That is so clever. I mean, it's just crazy to me that years before experimental physics was really a thing, people mm. were able to conceptualize and build these sorts of things. Like the intuitive knowledge that these engineers must have had. I mean, it's not like they could run a simulation mm. or that. I mean, this is before the laws of gravity were written, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. No, I think it's just, that's why I want to talk about, so it was just blowing my mind. Uh, one more thing, one more invention of yours that I wanted to talk about was his entirely mechanical play, which was roughly 10 minutes in length. Uh, it was completely powered by a binary-like system of ropes, knots, and simple machines, operated by a rotating cylindrical cogwheel. Uh, and he would reproduce the sound of thunder by mechanically timed, uh, by mechanically timed dropping of metal balls onto a hidden drum. So there wouldn't be any, basically all the elder set props and everything were completely mechanical. Wow. So nobody would be there dropping the steel walls or doing this. It would all be automated. So it was essentially animatronics. Yeah. That is so <laughs> awesome. Right. He also did a bunch of other stuff, but I honestly can't keep talking about that. 
yeah, then a few other things. Uh, in shrines and temples, there were um, automatons which were used to impress the faithful. So there are apparently references to figurines that could pull libations by themselves and also appear to dance. Um, there was also several temples that had trumpets that would sound when a door was opened, and many shrines had automated water dispensers. All mm. of it was mechanical, so I thought that was really interesting. Uh, oh, oh, wait, before I finish. So there is one more thing called the Antikythera Mechanism, which was around 1st century BC. It's been recovered from a sunken ship in the Aegean Sea, and it appears to be what we think is the first analog computer. What? <laughs> it was designed to make astronomical calculations possible in order to determine the timing of the Olympics. Oh boy, so they invented an entire computer so they could figure out when to play their games. Their games I mean, that seems... Their Olympic games. That sounds legit to me. I mean, I also want to time it now when I'm going to play my game. <laughs> That's amazing. But yeah, so that was the last thing. Um, unfortunately, the collapse of the Roman Empire meant that much of this knowledge of self-operating machines were lost. Um, what has survived comes to us in references by other people, and the Byzantines and then later the Arabs actually built their machines based on some of these Greek and Roman models that still existed. And then hundreds of years later, people basically reinvented the same things, like based on the same concepts. Yeah, based on the same concepts. But I mean, obviously, they're not exactly the same things, new and improved. And I mean, like how successful all of this was, we don't really know. All these things were said they really worked, but I mean, we don't really know. It could have just been people hoping that it worked and it didn't. Yeah. But, um, so there's some ancient references to technology that's still seen in modern day technological creations. Uh, for example, in 1948, a ramjet missile was named Talos after the Cretan robot. Um, then in 2013, Talos uh, resurfaced again, only this time. As a project by the U.S. Special Operations Command and Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency that wanted to create a special ops robotic exoskeleton which would provide human strength, superhuman strength, heightened sensory awareness, and ballistic projection. So basically, Iron Man. Oh, did we know if they actually no, created it? No, they them? never managed to finish the project. Uh. Um, but they did name it the Tactical Assault Light Operator Suit, Talos. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. Oh, hold on a second. We have to let the cat out. Oh. Sorry about that. That was Peaches, our cat, wanting to leave the room. She does this <laughs> thing where she starts smacking the door to command her human servants. Uh, right, okay, so now I'm finally done. I feel like I've been talking for half an hour. Have I been talking for half an hour? Okay. Um, so, references uh, classicalwisdom.com, thedailybeast.com, reform.com theo.com and of course wikipedia and i just want to show you hero's uh, sketch of the opening of opening temple doors so you say the hydraulic system i don't i mean know how to read this, i'm a person in cool. 2020 who is actually you know studied some basic high school physics and i can't figure out how this is I supposed don't. to work there's a lot of letters and then you know something happens here and then boom boom and then it opens and it um, and this is his uh, steam fountain. He also created a automatic fountain. This looks like something that's been made out of a desk, a book, a toilet plunger, <laughs> and some kind of And the of world mirror. globe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, so that's all I have on technology in the ancient world, including robots, AI, and GPSs, which I found amazing. 
That is super awesome. My gosh. I really didn't know that any of that existed. And I, I think probably if somebody told me, hey, do you know the first computer was invented BC? I'd be like, uh, bullshit. <laughs> I mean, what we, what we call a computer was really just a device that acted computer-like, I guess. Obviously, it wasn't the first computer, but you know. So maybe it was more like maybe a, a calculator. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was more a calculation machine. But still completely insane for the time in which it mm. was built. Yeah. No, I just... Oof. It's amazing. I mean, the vending machine is still blowing my mind. <laughs> Fantastic. So, what do you have me? Okay. So, um, let, I'm going to see whether you can guess uh, what my story is today. Not the Bell Witch. It's not the Bell okay, Witch. Sorry. No. Um, okay, I'm going to give you a couple hints, or maybe three hints. One, it's set in a German town. Two, it's, um, it involves a musical instrument. And three, it also involves children. The, the Piper, isn't it? Talking about the Piper. Yep, that's right. The legend today is the Pied Piper of Hamlin. All right, I'm ready. Okay, so hopefully there's some things you don't know about it. Probably loads. I'm going to try my best. So I'm going to start with the legend, and I'm going to tell the Grimm Brother version of the legend. There's two famous versions, or two uh, versions that made the Pied Piper legend famous. Um, one is the Grimm Brother version, and the other one is the version by Robert Browning. Okay. Okay, so, it's the year 1284, and we're in the West German town of Hamlin, which is currently completely overrun with rats. It's it's infested. I mean, th- if you think about, like, the Black Death and all those mm-hmm. sorts of things, um, that was mainly due to the fact that um, hygiene was really bad at that time, and there tended to be infestations of rodents Yeah, no thanks. in the towns. Um, just a little bit of background on Hamlin itself. Uh, it was a fishing village that originated way back in the Dark Ages. It was not really well known or particularly significant until around 800 AD, where uh, there was a Benedictine abbey um, established and the famous Basilica of St. Boniface was built there. Mm-hmm. Then the town became a little bit more prosperous um, as it engaged in shipping, trading, and especially grain milling in the Middle Ages. And it actually remained an independent city-state all the way up until 1572. So the interesting um, thing about this town is that it never actually fell subject to uh, modernization or urban renewal, so a lot of parts of the town Um, are actually completely preserved in their 16th and 15th century um, facades and things like that. And a lot of it has also been restored and refurbished. So when you go into this town, you really do get a glimpse of uh, what it looked like in the 16th century. Mm. Uh, One last fun fact about Hamlin. 
The story of the Pied Piper is not the only story for which the town is known. Oh. Um, on January 9th, 1600, uh, the wife of a burger of the town, a burger is basically like a, um, it's one of the the headmen of oh. the town. You know, they used <laughs> to be... Like, wife of a hamburger? <laughs> what? No, they, they used to be, I think, councils of... Um, leading citizens in the town that kind of made big decisions and oh, and arranged okay. policy and things like that. So mm-hmm. the wife of the burger um, gave birth to septuplets. Oh, jeez. Which oh, was the first such multiple birth in the world. Yeah. And the cat wants to come back into the room. Okay, hang on. Okay, we're back. The cat is back in the room and hopefully does not want to go out again. Okay, so that's all the information about Hamlin. Now let's get back to the re- to the legend. Mm-hmm. Okay, as I said, we're in Hamlin, place is overrun with rats. One day, a stranger comes to town wearing clothes made out of various colorful strips. And this is where the word pied comes from. It actually refers to the style of clothing that he was wearing. He carried with him a fife, which is a medieval um, aerophonic instrument. Aerophonic just means that it's operated by means of air, by means of the breath. Okay. And it looks very similar to a piccolo. I actually have a picture of it right here. It basically looks like a single reed with holes into it, kind of like a recorder. Mm. So the Pied Piper offers the town a deal to get rid of their rat problem in exchange for a monetary fee. And the town is desperate, you know, the rat problem is really huge, so they accept, even though apparently it's quite a large amount that the piper is demanding. Anyway, as promised, the piper lures the rats and mice away from the town uh, using his fife music and into the river Vesa, where all the rodents drown. (laughs) Then when he returns to the town to claim his fee, the burghers of the town refuse to pay it. Oh. So the piper left angry and bitter, but he was seen again on June 26th, which is um, also St. John and St. Paul's Day, this time dressed in a hunting outfit. Okay. So the significance of St. John's Day, um, it again comes back to this idea of uh, seasons being particularly significant. So St. John's Day occurs on the summer solstice, which Mm -hmm. is... um, basically peak midsummer and it's typically celebrated by youth who dance around bonfires celebrations and things like this so it was kind of significant that he returned on this day which would usually be a day of celebration but turned out to be a really dark day in the town's history so this time when the pied piper uh, returns he plays his fife and instead of luring rats and mice he lures all children in the town older than four years. Um, as revenge? Yeah, why, basically. Why specifically older than four years? Just because they could walk? Yeah, I think it had to be dependent on whether the kids were mobile mm. or not. So probably the music also lured younger children, but they weren't able, able to, to get out of their cots or um, wherever they were. Okay. So the music lured all the children, including the mayor's daughter. Ooh. The piper led them out of the town and up into the hills, and the children um, were never seen again. In total, the legend says that 130 children were taken from the town. 130? Just 
103 children just walking in the town and nobody decided to stop them. So, <laughs> um, I know that in some versions, apparently this occurred at night and only the children could hear the music. Oh. So that the, um, the adults weren't aware. But I think... Mm-hmm. The children were like found the music completely irresistible. So, um, even if the adults wanted to, they couldn't have stopped their children mm. from from following the piper. Um, so, even though pretty much, I mean, almost all the children in the town were taken, there were two children left behind. Huh. Uh, one was blind and the other was mute. Mm. I don't know what significance it would be to uh, being blind because. You'd think that you could still hear the music. But, but I mean, maybe he thought he or she couldn't see where they were going. So yeah, I mean, so it's possible that even though the child was lured by the music, they got left behind somehow. Yeah, but I don't understand the mute person. Apparently, the mute child was also deaf. Oh, I see. So the blind child could not point out where the children were taken, but heard the music. And the mute child could point to a cave where the children were taken, although... Uh, the villagers still weren't able to retrieve the children because they were no longer in that cave. It had led out somewhere else. Right. Um, some versions of the tale say that the cave led actually to Transylvania. Oh. Which is which you'll see actually is particularly interesting um, later when we think when we look at what is the actual factual basis for the legend. Okay. Um, anyway, the only consensus seems to be that they were led up into the mountains. Okay. And uh, that's basically the legend as it stands. So when I uh, started researching this topic, I was really surprised to find that there's actually a whole bunch of factual material upon which this is based. Oh. I mean, which kind of makes sense, because if you think about it, the Grimm brothers wrote their tales by going around Germany, collecting folk tales by Mm. word of mouth. Yeah, that's true. So these things originate somewhere. But I didn't know there was this much fact. Okay. The first evidence we have of an event like this happening is a stained glass window um, in, a, in a church. It dates back to the 1300s, okay. and it depicts Hamlin's market kirche, which is a market church. Oh, okay. Um, in the image, there's a group of people surrounding a colorfully dressed man. However, that window was destroyed... Um, during a renovation in 1660 and has disappeared, so you can't see it today. Typical. Then the next evidence is a manuscript by a Benedictine monk named Heinrich von Herford. And this manuscript dates back to 1370. Mm-hmm. Then um, some of the most concrete evidence we have is an entry in the Town Chronicle in 1387, and that reads... In the year 1284, after the birth of Christ, from Hamlin were led away 130 children, born at this place, led away by a piper into a mountain. Oh, okay. So this is like like, a very clear, very explicit reference to what happened. So we seem to be fairly sure that there was some kind of mass exodus of children from this town um, at some point in the 1200s or early 1300s. Yeah. Then another reference is in a 15th century manuscript. There's an annotation here which refers to um, an eyewitness to the disappearance. Um, according to this uh, manuscript, the mother of Dean Johann von Luden was 
um, among the a child that was um, taken at the time of this mass exodus. Mm-hmm. Um, Dean von Luden uh, was a real-life prominent Hamlin uh, family member in the Middle Ages, and he was actually dean of uh, St. Boniface Basilica that I mentioned before. Oh, right. So the most widely accepted theory for the origin of this legend is actually that the Pied Piper in the legend was a recruiter who enlisted children on what is called a children's crusade to help colonize territories in uh, Eastern Europe. What? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't realize that was a thing, but apparently, Spoons. you know, if you're older than four, you're ready to take part in a holy war. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll beat you with my teaspoon. <laughs> Look, why are you just sitting around at home? It's time to serve your country. Well, I mean, you're all of four years old. That's basically adolescent. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's what they think actually happened. Um, and then uh, the reason that we may have this um, kind of legend that the children emerged in Transylvania is that it's related to this whole idea of colonization in Eastern Europe because they were actually looking at expanding into Poland and Mm -hmm. what used to be Czechoslovakia and places like that. Um, Then the theory is that in exchange for uh, land and for freedom from the serfdom, because a lot of these kids would have actually been serfs, which were basically like ancient slaves, Mm. The colonizers may have promised not to return to Hamlin. There's also a theory that they were possibly indentured servants of the St. Boniface Monastery, and they basically just kind of, you know, reneged on their contracts and ran away. I mean, that kind of sounds most likely. Yeah, it it sounds very plausible, particularly Mm. since there weren't exactly any child labor laws at the time. So... Um, Despite there being a lot of um, evidence to suggest that the children did uh, um, leave the village at this time, the rat part of the story is likely untrue, since that detail only appeared 300 years later, in the 16th century. Oh, okay. Uh, That said, remember I said that the town was was known for its moles and silos and things like that? Yeah. So that is something that would have attracted a lot of rodents. Mm-hmm. Interesting fact about rat psychology. I'm sorry, what? Did you know it is actually possible to lure rats with, in inverted commas, uh, music? Really? Yeah, so, very cool fact. There's a museum in Hamlin that contains a small metal fife, which, when you play it at just the right pitch... Uh, emits a high-pitched shriek, which emulates the mating sound of rats. Oh my gosh. And actually uh, attracts rats oh, that's, mm. to the sound. How did they... Did they just like keep testing it until <laughs> they found Yeah, I imagine there was just this entire group of like animal behaviorists or rat psychologists, if that's the <laughs> just like playing different pitches on a, a flute until they got it just right. Interesting. Which honestly, to me, sounds like a creative form of torture. But... I suppose there's something like that that could like lure humans irresistibly towards the sound of music. Yeah, you know, like kind of like sirens. Well, I mean, 
unless you think that there's some kind of specific mating call that humans let maybe out. Maybe it like it reaches into our primal instincts. <laughs> you know, like, oh, gotta get them, but you know, <laughs> it's just the voice of Ryan Gosling. Ew, it just no. lures people mm-hmm. in. <laughs> I mean, I'm not actually surprised that they are rat psychologists because I don't know, but I recently saw that rats find driving around in little cars really relaxing. I did remember. I do mm. remember that. And I remember thinking that was the strangest use of research money ever. Yeah, but fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's the most popular theory. There is another theory. And that's that the children fell victim to the dancing plague. Do you know what the dancing plague is? I have no idea what that is. Okay. It sounds hilarious. I mean, it sounds hilarious, but it was also really serious at the time. Um, The dancing plague is literally a condition which causes people to dance nonstop and completely uncontrollably for hours or even days. Until they die? Yeah, so... I mean, I should you know, this is 100% a real thing. This isn't actually a legend. We know that this happened. And the okay. most famous example um, of the dancing plague occurred in 1518 in Strasbourg, France, where up to 15 people died per day just from exhaustion, just from dancing what the constantly. Fuck? Just because they started dancing? I mean... Well, they couldn't stop moving for sometimes like four days at a time. So they didn't sleep. Wait, so this was a plague, so that means that people got it simultaneously well i mean maybe not perfectly simultaneously but they certainly the infection certainly spread very quickly and i mean the total number of plague stricken in this town were 400 people dancing <laughs> 400 in the people town square. dancing to their death that's just so i assume it's a, something that affected their brain yeah i mean i don't really know too much about the biological mechanisms behind it but i do know that it was a real plague had 50 people so the thought is that maybe somehow the children contracted this dancing plague and that's what um, led them out of the village. But I personally think this theory is a little bit wishy-washy because it's not really clear why it would affect the children and not the adults. I was thinking the same thing. And why they would necessarily be led out of the village in a coordinated way. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing to say that there's any kind of real coordination in this plague. Yeah. So... And it was like... I mean, they call it dancing, but it was about, about jerking off rooms yeah, basically. and stuff like that. I think, I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that the dance, um, the tarantella is actually partly based um, that on makes the a lot dancing of plague. That sounds so terrifying. I've never heard of a plague like that. Yeah, it's, it's really quite a cool story on its own. And that was the one and only time it ever happened? Oh. No, no, there have been other instances what? since then of Dancing Plague. That's so crazy. Actually, um, I'm pretty sure there's an episode on the Box of Oddities by Captain Jethro Gilligan-Toth mm-hmm. uh, talking about the Dancing Plague. So I, I don't remember which episode it is. Oh, does it that? But yeah, you guys should definitely check it out if you're interested in hearing more about it. Okay, so um, interesting to know, the Bungolossenstrasse... Nice. Which is... Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I completely mispronounced it. sounds it. nice to my ears, though. Which um, translates literally into drumless street. Yeah. is the street where um, the Pied Piper house um, sits today. Mm-hmm. And apparently where the children were last seen. And um, till today, um, music is completely banned oh. on the street. 
as a sign Only of, of respect. Yeah. Oh. So apparently, even if there are wedding processions in the town, they have to go silent, stop playing when they reach that street. Wow. So no one's allowed to sing or whistle or something like that? Yeah, nothing. Wow. Um, which shows like how much the legend still has a hold. Yeah, because, I mean, they... I mean, we don't concretely know it's... I mean, we don't really know if it's completely true. No, no. There's some evidence. The, yeah. Me. So that means they just respect that legend so much. Yeah, I think that at this point the town is pretty much famous for the legend, so it's also kind of mm. um, to keep in with that whole sort of thing. Interest, yeah. yeah, and I mean, it's probably also partly a tourist thing. Right, right. There's also plenty of ways in which the town has capitalized on this legend for tourism um, purposes. There's references to rats everywhere in the town. Oh, so no. <laughs> apparently there's an automated clock tower that tells the legend of the Pied Piper three times a day. Oh, wow. There's a Pied Piper statue. Mm-hmm. Uh, a musical was written called Rats. <laughs> <laughs> and there are bars in the town that serve cocktails with creative names like Rat's Blood, <laughs> which is a mix of champagne and black currant juice. Yeah, I can imagine it just looks absolutely disgusting. It also sounds like it's going to taste absolutely disgusting. And there's also a meal called Rat's Tails, mm. which is um, bread and slices of pork. Apparently. I hope it's pork. <laughs> and not actually rat tails. And then in addition to this, twice a day, bells chime the Pied Piper melody. Isn't that a bit much? <laughs> I feel like they might have gone a little bit Well, I mean, if top. you're a small town and you've got this one thing that distinguishes you from every other small town in Germany, I guess you have to exploit feel, it. I mean, yeah, I feel like the tourists would really enjoy it, but I also feel as though the inhabitants of the town would be like, here we go again, Pied Piper tune. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that's me, I'm from the Pied Piper town. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do not play the flute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like they would have all those woes. <laughs> but, I mean... Nevertheless, I think it's it's a really cool legend, and um, yeah, it's definitely one that I was really interested in, really wanted to cover. Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't actually know. I mean, I knew the basic legend, but I didn't know all of those things. It's really cool. Yeah. Also, 130 children, what the fuck? Yeah, that's an insane amount of children. I mean, I didn't even know there could be that many in one small town. <laughs> <laughs> actually, that doesn't surprise me. Right, I mean, there I was mean, that lady who had septuplets. Septu- yeah, there you go. <laughs> right, there's like seven of them. He's already contributing. <laughs> so my sources for today's story were um, curiosity.com. I got a lot of information from the Washington Post. Mm. There's um, a post on um, pittsburgh.edu by D.L. Ashleman. And of course, my favorite, Wikipedia. Wiki, wiki. <laughs> Is our rescuer. Yeah, and um, that's what I have for you today. That was great, thank you. Super informative. Also, lots of history about Ham Hamilton. I keep wanting to say Hamilton. Hamlin. <laughs> Not Hamilton. Not Hamilton. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> yay, Hamlin! <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag yay, Hamlin. <laughs> thanks. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, thanks for ancient robots. Definitely yeah, not something I thought was going to come <laughs> So anyway, we'll have a brand new story for you next episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, until then, keep surviving the quarantine, just as we are. I mean, pro tip, if you're really bored, you can always uh, bathe in the light of your window and stare out at the empty, empty streets. It really seems to entertain our cat, Peaches. <laughs> or just let, 
sleep seven hours on a desk. Yeah. Chelsea does that. That works as well. I've also been sleeping much more. I mean, not on just because of my mental illness, but also just to, you know, let the time go by. On a desk? Not on a desk. No, oh, okay. can't say I have. But, you know, sleep wherever you need to sleep. Yeah, you know, on the floor, on a ball, in a bathtub, probably without the water, because, you know. It's hazardous. Be safe. Yeah. As always, wherever you are. Yeah, and we'll be back next week, potentially speaking about the Bell Witch. Um, no? okay. We are most definitely not speaking about the Bell Witch. I'm not saying we're never going to speak about the Bell Witch, but as long as you keep talking about it, it's never going to happen. Okay, fair. <laughs> Can live and dream. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you. Stay cool. Bye. Stay legendary.